Hi, I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is Beyond Well, the program where we take a look at our interior lives. I believe we're all on a spectrum of emotionally feeling really good some days to emotionally feeling pretty bad. This is normal life. And this is the program where we examine the extremes and how to stock our emotional toolbox to deal with the not so good days. This show is a repeat of just such an episode. So if you're getting deja vu, thanks for listening the first time. And we hope you enjoy the show again. Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. I'm here again with Dr. Jim Polo, and he has had a remarkable recovery from a knee replacement. So, Dr. Polo, it's so great to see you up walking and helping us again. Oh, Sheila, thank you very much. I do feel great. I do yeah. feel great that I'm now up and walking. I have had this question from so many of our listeners who live with loved ones that they're deeply concerned about regarding their mental health. They don't quite know what it is that you say to someone who may be in need of a mental health intervention or at least a look-see under the hood. So could you guide us through some of the things we should be thinking about when we want to approach someone we love who we may be concerned about? Yeah, this is a really timely question because right now we have so many folks um, that are certainly suffering with all kinds of symptoms related to fear and concern about the uh, the ongoing pandemic. You know, I think one of the first things I would I would urge family members to think about is that the first step to helping somebody is just recognizing that there are some signs and symptoms that might be worrisome to you. In general, when folks are starting to have those kinds of symptoms that relate to any kind of a mental health type challenge, you'll see changes from their baseline. It's not important really to worry about trying to label those changes. It can be quite helpful to simply explain what you're observing. So the first thing I would recommend is that if you're worried about somebody else, you know, before you jump in and and try to help, do a little bit of research yourself. What are the kinds of signs and symptoms that would maybe, first of all, help me think about the fact that somebody's struggling? So for example, you know, what are the basic signs and symptoms of depression? You know, the symptoms might be trouble sleeping. The symptoms might be social withdrawal. It might include, you know, being down and not not wanting to engage in the activities that usually cause joy. Now, the reason why I'm sharing that is because one of the key ways that you approach somebody who's having mental health difficulties is, first of all, not trying to pass judgment, but simply explaining what you're observing in a factual manner that's non-judgmental. Because remember, folks that are struggling have a whole world of emotions that are going on inside their head. And part of what you want to do is you want to share with them just simply what you're observing. You know, so recognizing those signs and symptoms and then articulating only what you're observing without passing judgment is kind of that first step to helping somebody. So, you know, I'll, I'll try to walk through an example on this. Let's say that your spouse um, has been getting more and more irritable. You know, they're getting short with their temper. Maybe they're coming home from work upset or maybe they're leaving for work late. And you just notice that there's a change. So one of the first ways that you can begin to get inside 
to help this individual is first of all, just putting that on the table without any judgment. Hey, I've noticed that you've really been tense lately. It's a statement. It's not a judgment. It's just an observation. Hey, I've noticed that you really haven't talked a lot lately about anything that's going on. So, you, you know, the reason why I share that is remember that when folks are struggling with an emotional challenge, they have a world that's going on inside. That This is their internal narrative. If they're resistant to think that they have a mental health problem, they're going to be very resistant to sharing anything about that narrative that's going on. Mm-hmm. And if you just come at somebody and say, hey, I think you're depressed, you need help. Mm. It's almost like an assault. That individual already is struggling with this internal narrative that doesn't even make sense to them in the first place. Mm-hmm. You're already in a position where you may come across this passing judgment. And the ironic and the thing is you may be 100% correct. You may be correct that they are indeed depressed and they need help. But that's not the how. That's not how you get there. Okay. It feels also really important to me, um, Dr. Polo, to mention that many people who are beginning to feel these signs and symptoms are very um, defensive about it. And that many of them, when you say, I'm noticing that you're more irritable, will say, you make me that way. You drive me crazy. You do things that um, make me so upset I can't stand living here. So talk to people about the defensive reaction and how to cope with that. Yeah, that's a great great lead in to to what I was thinking about. You know, very often when folks are dealing with a mental health problem, it it can be challenging being around them. So let's be honest about this. When somebody else is struggling with a mental health problem, our, our tendency is to tell them, hey, just snap out of it. What's wrong with you? Because the reality is we don't see the world from their perspective. And so the key is actually to help that individual kind of open up. So for example, just using exactly what you just said, a great response would be, help me understand what you're feeling then. Mm. Or share with me what you would like me to understand about what you're experiencing right now. In other words, you're very carefully asking them to share something that's internal, but you're giving them the leeway to share what they want to share without any judgment, okay? Um, There's two concepts in here that I will offer. The first concept is narrating, okay? Sharing a little bit about what you're thinking and feeling factually, first of all, sets the tone for what you're really modeling you would like them to do. Mm. And then gently giving them the control on how they're going to share what's going on. And the, and, and the key thing here is that it doesn't work the first time. And, and sometimes it doesn't work after two or three times. You, you have to demonstrate First of all, that you really truly care. You really are genuinely interested to make it safe for that person to open up. So for example, I've been very worried about you. I've noticed that you seem withdrawn. What would you like me to know about what you're feeling? What would you like me to know about how you're experiencing things right now? Mm -hmm. So you're offering, first of all, a statement that is just kind of, you know, non-judgmental. And you're giving them the leeway to open up and share what they want rather than tell me what's wrong. Mm. It's, it's, it's a very subtle distinction. Yeah. Because, you know, I'll be honest, I went through this with my wife many years ago. My, my wife went through a, a severe period of, of depression and I got frustrated. You know, we had everything. Mm. Um, 
we were both physicians. We were doing fine financially. We had a great house, living in a wonderful neighborhood. Our three kids, all under the age of 10, were in all their different activities. Everybody was healthy. My mm. wife was clearly depressed. Wow. And, you know, I knew that she was depressed, but I couldn't understand why she would be depressed. I'm like, hey, snap out of it. You're, we're, everything's great. Whatever it yeah. is that you're thinking doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense to me. Therefore, I was assuming how could it possibly make sense to her? Mm. So rather than trying to understand what she was experiencing internally, I was trying to tell her what she needed to do. Hey, darling, I don't know why you're down today. I think everything's great. Let's just go to soccer practice. I don't get this. Yeah. And what I found out is the more that I pushed, the more she became shut down. And what I found out later on is that she had all kinds of conflicting feelings going on inside. And the more I pushed and the more I pointed out, the more she felt like, okay, he's right. There's something wrong with me. Mm. He's right. This doesn't make any sense. He's right. I I'm a failure. The more she put herself down, the less she was willing to actually open up. It's so comforting to hear that even as a psychiatrist that you've had difficulties um, because I think that this is probably one of the most landmine filled territories that people can walk through with people they love. There is the, the other issue of actually getting someone who has never in their life considered getting any kind of counseling or professional help, introducing that. Um, maybe you might want to see someone or talk to someone. Walk us through that next step of how, when you can't get them to actually open up, suggesting that someone else might be capable of doing so. You know, this is a very, this is a very tender area. And, and let me tell you why this is a very, uh, a very challenging um, approach. Remember that we all have stigma to some degree, whether we like it or not, we just do. You know, something's wrong with our arm. We just naturally think we need to go get it seen and, and fixed. Something's wrong with our mind, our emotions. We just automatically jump to the fact that there must be something defective. Mm. You know, stigma plays a huge role, not only in the individual that's feeling that there's a mental health challenge, but as well as the individual that's observing. And so, you know, what, what I usually kind of think about, and I actually do this, I, I follow the same process, even after somebody has come to see me, you know, so they've already made that step of saying, I need to see somebody with a mental health uh, uh, background. When it comes to a friend or a spouse, let's say you've gone through that process already where you've identified, you know, I've noticed this. Mm -hmm. Hey, I've noticed that. Hey, what would you like to share with me that, your feeling or what would you like to share with me with what your experience is? There comes a point at which you can actually say to that individual, you know, it sounds to me like you're going through a rough time. How can I help you get help? That's How a great way to say it. How can I help you go see a counselor? Right. Yeah. Um, like judgmental to, to a person that's already feeling defective. How can I help you get help? Mm. And the reason why that's so important is because very often folks that are already depressed they haven't even thought about the fact, I need something. Mm. They, they intuitively know they need something. Yeah. But the biggest step is just saying, I need it from somebody else. And so what you're doing is you're simply implying to them at a very soft, gentle step, you might need help right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I got to be honest, when we are having an emotional difficulty, when we're having a problem, we don't right away jump to, I need a therapist. And the reality is you don't always need a therapist up front. 
So let's say you ask that person that you love, that you really care about, how can I help you get help? And let's say that they say, I just don't know. I don't know. That's when you can begin to say, you know, I wonder if somebody to talk to would be helpful. Because remember, they, they might not say, I don't know. They might say, you know, I just really need somebody to talk to. Can I talk to you? Mm, yeah. And that may then lead into a stronger connection of trust. And I'm not saying that that person may not need help. What I am saying is it may take a little bit of time before they feel comfortable kind of accepting for themselves, you know, you're right, I need help. Mm. Because there, there may come a point when you're working with somebody in that informal setting where then you have to confess, you know, I don't know if I'm the one that can really help you. It sounds like you're struggling in a way that I don't understand either. Yeah. But I do know that you need help. I'm fascinated by that, Jim, because the the difference, especially with friends, because friends can be very open about their psychological suffering. And then there's a very kind of tricky area when you begin to feel over your skis, like someone discloses something about doing something dangerous or a habit that's become so habitual that it's damaging their relationship. And then suddenly you've, you know, developed this wonderful relationship, but you no longer have the skills to be able to help. Listening is not enough. Right. And, you know, part of the challenge here is there does sometimes come a point at which you're so worried about somebody that you may not be able to be gentle. There comes a point where you may have to be a little bit more directive. So, you know, I'll, I'll jump to what you just touched on. What do you do when you think somebody's really at that point of potentially harming themselves? Well, right. the, the first thing is to remember, you're not being judgmental. You want to show that you really care, but you also want to kind of put it on the table. And one of the ways that you can do that is simply offer what your concern is. I'm worried about you Mm. and your safety. Is there something that I can do to help? Is Mm. there something that I can do to understand what is going on? Because what you're really kind of putting on the table is the fact that whatever it is that you're observing, whatever it is that they have said is now making you feel like you have to really worry about them. Yeah. All of us sometimes have emotional symptoms that are so overwhelming that we just wish we could go away. We just Mm -hmm. wish that they could all end. Mm -hmm. And we sometimes wish, you know, if I just wasn't here, if I wasn't around, if I was dead. Mm -hmm. The challenge is when you cross over to the point that you say to yourself internally, that internal narrative, I want to be dead, Mm -hmm. you're no longer thinking rationally. Right. How does the friend or relative get inside enough to know gee, do I need to do something that I know they're going to be upset about, but the safety is so important that that now is overriding. I I, I hope that kind of makes sense. It's it's really good. It's really good stuff. And I was just on a Zoom call with some suicide loss survivors, a a woman who had lost her husband to suicide and was dating again. And they were, uh, she was going through a process of breaking up with her boyfriend. And her boyfriend was, I think, in an effort to keep her around, threatening suicide. And I was thinking about, first of all, just the pure horror of having to relive that and somehow believe that you could somehow be responsible for someone else's decision to stay alive. And also, I didn't know what to tell her to say or do. Give us some advice there. The, the, The first thing that I would just say kind of, you know, upfront is anytime that somebody says, quote, I think I'm going to kill myself, or maybe I should just be dead, or maybe I should just die. That should be taken seriously. There can be a temptation to, to think, oh, they're just trying to manipulate me. 
mm. or they are trying to get me to feel sorry or they're trying to get me to do something. And the problem is that, may, I, that might be true. That might be true. But if it's not true, then that person is really at risk. So the first thing is we should always take all threats and all you know comments about that very seriously. Mm -hmm. Safety is, is the most important thing. People that are thinking that they might hurt themselves or they're thinking of dying or they're thinking of suicide, they're not crazy. They're not crazy. Mm -hmm. They're overwhelmed emotionally. So it makes yeah. sense that they might not be thinking logically. And in fact, it's at those moments when you really have to show that you genuinely care about them. You care about them so much that you're willing to hurt them in the short run because mm. you don't want to lose them in the long run. I love the way you just framed that. I wish that was, I had been able to come up with that line when I was speaking with it. It's fabulous. That's exactly what you have to do. I've actually had patients in the office with me where I've said, you know what, we need to hospitalize you today. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be calling the hospital. I'm going to be making a referral. Can't let you leave. And I know they're angry. Mm -hmm. I've actually never yet had a patient come back later and tell me they were angry for caring about them. Mm -hmm. I have had them come back and tell me, you know, you misunderstood what I said, or I really feel like you kind of controlled me. Mm -hmm. But I've never had them say, you didn't care about me. And in mm -hmm. fact, that becomes the focus. And I share with them, I cared about you so much. And I didn't really know what was going on that I I could do the only thing I knew that was the most important, which was to not miss the fact that you might be hurting enough, you'd really do something. And, and to this day, although I've had a couple of patients that have been very upset with me, I've never actually had a patient say, you just don't care about me, Dr. Polo. In, in fact, in the end, they've all said, okay, I get it. You mm. cared about me. Mm. Let's um, move on to say you have managed somehow to, to get the person to go into therapy. They have maybe received a diagnosis. Maybe they've received um, some help with medication and now they're living in your home and they're not showering and they're not getting up. They're not looking for work. If they've happened to have lost their job, they're not participating in life. How does one encourage a loved one who is living with a mental illness to continue on a path toward recovery? Okay. This is a very challenging situation, uh, very often for family members. Sometimes as the outsider, we think that if somebody's gone to see somebody and they've gotten a diagnosis and they've gotten a prescription and they've got an appointment to go back, everything's now good. Mm -hmm. and, and unfortunately, that's just the first step. And some of the disorders that folks have to live with kind of require that engagement over time, and they will go through, you know, peaks and valleys in terms of whatever it is that they're experiencing. So as a family member, you got to remember, it, it's not a one and done type approach. Oh, like they, they mm -hmm. went to see a counselor and now all's good. Or, hey, they started them on this medication that's supposed to, you know, help them and it's all good. Some of the same principles still apply. You have to remember that this individual sometimes may not be thinking in the way that you are thinking. You know, I noticed that some of that irritability is coming back. Have you noticed that? Mm. Okay. Or, gee, I'm noticing you're, you're seeming down. Is that something you've noticed? Mm -hmm. And you can also very gently move that into... Is that something you've been able to talk to John about? John might yeah. be the therapist or something. Or 
hey, I notice you're not sleeping again. Is that something that you've mentioned to Dr. X? It's not, mm-hmm. hey, you need to do something. It's not, hey, Dr. X needs to do something. It's simply, have you mentioned it? Because remember, when folks are struggling, they themselves fear it's coming back. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the way that you resist that fear is you pretend it isn't happening. And so if you can simply offer what you're observing in a non-judgmental way, you're kind of offering the opportunity for that individual to take control of owning it and perhaps maybe then doing something about it. And the best thing is for them to simply mention it to their treatment team. Right. The behavioral components of both depression and bipolar disorder um, can be so harmful to family units. And I I do wonder if you could just end today with a little bit of advice for the people who are charged with taking care of people who are sick. So remember, I mentioned before that I'm a child psychiatrist, and one of the areas of of my expertise is, is young kids with mood instability. I take a very firm approach against labeling them early. So even though I may think that they have some symptoms that look like it could be bipolar, I don't actually tell Mm -hmm. this child, hey, I think you have bipolar, and I rarely tell parents, your child has bipolar. But here's what I do do to the family and to the parents. I remind them, hey, look, your, your loved one is struggling with mood instability. I would really strongly recommend that you try to understand and read about what that really means, you know? Take more of an interest in trying to understand the full breadth of what that could mean because you are going to go through this with them in terms of struggling. Mm -hmm. The more you understand, the less likely you are to be judgmental. And, And the reason why this becomes important with bipolar disorder is because remember, bipolar disorder is one of those disorders which we don't cure. Mm-hmm. We, we treat it. We help keep people in a, in a state of mood stability. And even under the best of circumstances, the people that have severe bipolar are still going to go through those peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. And it isn't going to make sense to them. And it isn't going to make sense to the people around them. But if you read about this disorder so that you have a sense of knowing that that's actually part of what can happen, now you can get away from feeling like somebody did something wrong. Oh, you didn't take your medicine. Oh, you didn't follow the doctor's recommendations. No, 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 no. This is just part of living with this. And we can go through this together. Mm, Beautiful. Boy, we might have to revisit this topic just because I'm going to know I'm going to get a a thousand questions from family members who support people with mental illness. And if you have those, you can email me directly at Sheila.Hamilton at BeyondWell. I also just want to thank those of you who have given us a thumbs up. We are the fastest growing mental health podcast on Spotify. I think so much of it has to do with Dr. Polo's amazing voice and his incredible advice. So thank you, Dr. Polo. It's been so wonderful to catch back up again. Sheila, it's always a pleasure. And uh, I really just hope that all our listeners recognize that these topics are so important. It's, It's all about just really, you know, connecting with the people around us, the people that we love. 